All right, so we're in this series now. Last week we did um, Faithful Fatherhood, and this, this week is Militant Motherhood. Militant Motherhood. Now, the premise here is, is, remember last week we were talking about Adam and Eve in the garden, and Adam was told, provide for your wife and protect your wife. And if he was doing either of those things, if he was doing what he should have been doing, why, why was the snake right, able to offer her food? If, if, if he had been feeding his wife, the snake offering food wouldn't have been a temptation to her. If he would have been protecting her, the snake would never have made it into the garden. And, and the reason I preface this this way is that our wives are still right, the, the weaker vessel. They are, the, they are, in fact, what the world is going after. Uh, the nanny state, homosexuality, feminism, abortion, our, our wives are being pursued still by the snake. And so I really want to make sure that the men don't, like, just check out, start checking scores of baseball on their phone while I am talking about militant motherhood. This is the front line, I think, more than any other subject of where we are being attacked. And it's in our homes, and it's our wives, and it's our daughters, and their place in this world. So the text today is from Psalm chapter, uh, Psalm chapter 8, verse 2. So if you want to turn there, that's primarily what I'm going to be talking about. Um, but before we do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, for its wisdom, for its um, grace, for its beauty, for its power. We pray, Lord God, that as we open your word this morning and that we consider what it is to be a mother and what the mission of motherhood is and the field in which they are laboring, we pray, Lord God, that you would give us all a great deal of grace and wisdom and understanding that you would give us con- conviction of our sins, that you would comfort us in the way that we need, that we would learn to, to not only be more grateful for our own mothers, um, but uh, for our wives and, and all that they do as a mother, um, but that we would be grateful for a God who had a mother. Uh, of all the things, um, the, the living God who is above and beyond and practically incomprehensible, made himself comprehensible, by coming through the womb. We, we pray, Lord God, that we would consider such a thing and what it means for all of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, in a church like ours, <laughs> it's always, I'm always a little nervous when somebody says they're pregnant because I know what's coming. I've been here now 15 years or so, and what inevitably happens when someone says they're pregnant is, is, is in the preceding months, another eight women end up being pregnant. It's like you guys are all waiting for somebody to, to get it started. <laughs> I, 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 I can't even, how many times? How many times? Somebody's pregnant, and before we know it, there's like six, seven, eight pregnant women, right? We've had a lot of pregnancies coming through those doors, right? With all the pregnant bellies, all the nursing infants, all of these chubby little toddlers running around, I am, I am often reminded of what Solomon said of his wife in Song of Solomon chapter 6, verse 10. This is what he said of his wife. Who is this who looks down like the dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? (laughs) The loveliness and fearsomeness only compounds when the bride becomes a mother. So it's no wonder that the world is so unsettled by Christian women bearing children. It is a fearsome thing. William Ross Wallace, an 18th century poet, said this, the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. (laughs) 
Now, this is a very biblical sentiment. In Psalm chapter 8, verse 2, we read this. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. The world has tried to convince us that empowered women are those who have detached themselves from fertility. But the strength of a woman is in the mouth of her babes, whom she is raising to praise Christ. Motherhood is how God is stilling the enemy and the avenger. This is militant motherhood, motherhood with a mission. Your work, ladies, with your children matters. God ordained strength to come into the world in this way. That growing belly, those hungry cries in the night, the comfort of your embrace, the little arms wrapped around your legs, the child on your hip, the teen in the car with you, the smile around all of those freshly lost teeth, the weight of the stroller that you are pushing. This is your strength. This is your power. This is your hand doing its part to rule the world. Now, if the purpose of children is God-ordained strength, which he is using to silence the enemy of his kingdom, then motherhood is central to kingdom work, isn't it? It, It's the very forefront of it. Motherhood is central to the calling of women because it is central to the creational power that God has bestowed on women. He said, Adam, go out and fill the world and subdue it. And he meant to do it through Eve's womb. How else do you fill and subdue an entire world unless there's a woman there who can bear lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of children? Women make babies. I love it. My wife often has done this so many, you know, we've had six. And I'm like, hey, what did you do today when she's pregnant? This is always her funny joke. It's like, well, I just sat around making elbows. (laughs) Not much. (laughs) Right? Women make babies, and babies make the world. Right? We, 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 we very much lose this connection. Every, every great man who ever lived, every not great man who ever lived, every president, every general, every writer, every author, every one has come from a womb. Women make babies, and babies make the world. So this is the mission of militant motherhood, Right? Understanding this, getting behind this, being proactive about this, that is what militant motherhood is. Now, if you are a mother, <laughs> right, the church is not clamoring for monthly PowerPoint ministry updates. When I go to Presbytery, they do not say, hey, bring a representative of the mothers so they can update us about what's going on. We recently brought Boo here from Poland. Right? We didn't bring his wife here to update us about how she's doing with the kids. Right? This, this is not, motherhood doesn't rise to this level. Nobody's like, hey, can you guys give us a ministry update about the, the coloring? How's the coloring going? <laughs> when you talk to believers, they do not communicate awe about the sacrifice that you are going through every day at home with the kids. People do not press you for prayer needs. <laughs> Mothers do not feel intriguing. They do not feel glamorous. The work is normal because wives, mothers are as close to the day-to-day humdrum as one can possibly be. Right? It doesn't get more humdrum than a pile of dirty socks. It just That's as low level as it gets on one level. <laughs> so this, obviously, this is very easy to become discouraging. Right? Well, all I do is stand between the pile of socks 
and the clean socks, and I transfer one to the other. <laughs> so obviously, this, is, this can be very discouraging, thinking that the work that you are doing does not matter much. If you were really doing something for Jesus, you would be out there somewhere doing something else. This is what we often think, right? I, I really, if I was really doing kingdom work, I would not be here uh, cleaning up drool. I would be out in the world doing something that matters. But even if you have a great perspective on your role in the kingdom, it is easy to lose sight of it in the mismatched socks, in the morning sickness, and the dirty dishes. It's easy to view yourself as the, as the least valuable part of this community. But mothers need to study their own roles. They need to begin to see what it is they're actually doing, not as boring and inconsequential, but as the front line of God's kingdom work. At the very heart of the gospel is what? Sacrifice. Sacrifice of self. <laughs> I just described motherhood, didn't I? There is perhaps no occupation, there is no calling, there is no vocation in the world so intrinsically sacrificial as motherhood. Motherhood is a wonderful opportunity to live the gospel every day. Motherhood provides you with an opportunity to lay down the things that you cannot keep on behalf of the souls that you cannot lose. Think about that. Motherhood provides you with an opportunity to lay down the things that you cannot keep on behalf of the souls that you cannot lose. No matter what a woman does, she will not look 17 forever. Right? So why, why try to hold on to something that is impossible to hold on to? Motherhood is missional. There's something of eternal value taking place in the realm of the humdrum. It's true. Sometimes the only cheering that a mom hears is when she opens the ice cream lid. <laughs> but as mothers faithfully raise up the next generation in the gospel the cheering that is heard in heaven echoes through eternity and uh, one author I know of this way raising kids is a timed activity with eternal consequences it, it's a timed activity you only have so much time to do it in. but it has eternal consequences every person in hell and heaven has a mother all of them it's a timed. It's timed, and it's eternal. Think about the feeding of the 5,000, right? Here's an example of what motherhood is like. Think of the feeding of the 5,000. When the disciples rounded up all the food that they could find, and it wasn't much. It was just some loaves and some fish. How ho-hum is that, right? A tuna sandwich. A tuna sandwich is pretty ho-hum. I don't, I don't like tuna very much, so. Oof. I just hope they had some mayonnaise. Anyway. Think of some woman standing there who, who is handing her fish over, handing her loaves over. How, how significant did the food she was handing over seem like? Well, you know, all I, all I got are these kids sitting around this table. All I got is this, uh, a few loaves and a few fish. But the most important thing about the loaves and fish were the hands that they were placed into. In the hands of the Lord, the offering was made more than sufficient. In fact, there were leftovers. Given in faith, even a small offering becomes a very great thing. Look at your children in faith and see how many people will be ministered through them. How many people are your kids going, right? There's, the greatest thing they can do is love God and their neighbor. Well, how many neighbors are you, are you serving, are you ministering to by ministering to your children? 
How many people will your children know in their lives? How many grandchildren are represented in the faces of your t- sitting around your table? So if mothers are strategically situated to impact the kingdom so greatly, why does it feel like so little fruit is coming from your work? Because it does. I have a wife. She's the mother of six. I know exactly what, what you guys struggle with. And what you struggle with is what's the point? What's the point? I think the answer to, to this is actually quite, quite simple, quite old-fashioned. And I'm a preacher, and so, of course, this is what I'm going to say. Sin is the problem. Sins of envy, sins of discontent, sins of pettiness, selfishness, and resentment. The ladies are not being well-fed, and they're not being protected, and so the snake comes in, and he can. And the lies are believable. And you're hungry. Right? Sin comes in, and it does what sin does. Christians often feel ashamed about the things that God values. Shame for what God has given us. We do. We feel shame for what God values and what God has given us. Even the blessings, because of selfishness and because of the fear of man. The mission of self-sacrifice is die- and dying is right in front of you, and so cheerfully wipe the nose again for the 50th time. Make dinner again for people who don't like what you make. <laughs> is there anything more frustratingly ig- ig- ignoble? I know they hate this, and I'm going to make it anyway. Because it's what we got. And it's good for them. Laugh when the vomiting child thwarts your plans. Rejoice in shopping for slightly larger clothes. (laughs) If you've read the gospel at all, if you've read the gospel at all, and you've comprehended it on any level, at the end of the day, a body is, is for what? Being used up. Right? So at the end of the day, what in God's eyes is beautiful? Someone by, right? Someone who's scarred, right? I, this is, this just happened yesterday. My son, my son is into throwing things really hard right now, right? He's trying to show everybody how hard he can throw. And so we, we have this kitchen in our, this little play kitchen. And he picked up this, this wooden hot dog and he threw it right in Anne Marie's face from like point blank rage. And I was like, man, that, that's a, people are going to think I'm smacking you around. <laughs> right? I mean, it's just this big fat lip. Like, right? If you avoid children, you avoid exactly those kinds of injuries. But <laughs> what kind of sanctifying work is going on for the woman who gets a wooden hot dog thrown in her face? <laughs> right? But we want to be embarrassed about those little people. Rejoice in shopping for slightly larger clothes. Enjoy the front yard that looks like a tornado touchdown. Right? Don't avoid your neighbors while you're out there. This one's, I, I, I do this all the time. Oh, there's, there's so-and-so. And look at this yard. I'm going to just slip around the back so that nobody sees. Mothers, lay yourselves down for the people that are there with you, the people who annoy you, the people who get in your way, the people who, who take up so much of your time that you can't read anymore, that you can't put makeup on anymore. Right? Makeup, what is that? Rejoice in them. Sacrifice for them. Gain that which you cannot lose in them. It is easy to think that you have a heart for orphans on the other side of the world. Right? Oh my gosh, those poor orphans on the other side of the world. What are we going to do? Meanwhile, you're ignoring the needy kids in your living room. Right? Oh, that's gospel work. If, I, if we could just take care of those poor kids in Ukraine. Meanwhile, there's these, <laughs> there's these little beggars right in your living room. 
A true love of the gospel overflows and it overpowers. It will be in everything that you do, however drab, however simple, however repetitive, however ho-hum. God loves the little offerings. He loves them. Given in faith, that plate of tuna fish sandwiches will feed thousands. Your laundry pile, selflessly tackled every day, will be used in the hands of God to clothe many. Offered with thankfulness, your work at home is only the beginning. So do not think that your work does not matter. In God's hands, your small, tiny, insignificant offerings will be broken and broken and broken again until all have eaten and all are satisfied. And yes, there will be leftovers. It's hard to imagine, I know, but there will be. So offer it in faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. This is what it says. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This long view of mothering means that our children are not mere mortals, as C.S. Lewis wrote in his essay, The Weight of Glory. You don't know any mere mortals. Only people who are becoming either eternal horrors or something that is nearly divine. Right? In the end, they're going to be in hell, and they're going to look something like Satan in the really, really bad pictures of him. Or they're going to be in heaven, and they're going to resemble something at this point that if you saw it now, you'd want to worship it. That's where your kids are heading. You don't know any mere mortals. You've never raised a mere mortal. Every human being is God's image bearer with an eternal soul, including, <laughs> including that child. That little child has a soul, and they are headed somewhere. Motherhood is missional because no mom has ever taught a mere mortal about not hitting their brother in the face. No mother has wiped mashed potatoes off the face of a mere mortal. No mother has ever rocked a mere mortal back to sleep at 2 a.m. No mother has listened to a mere mortal tell a, a drawn-out story about the dream that they had last night. <laughs> Eternity means that child-rearing is a matter of eternal joys or sorrows, knowing Christ and being known by him forever. So who shapes a child's devotional life? Who has more opportunities to extend the ministry of reconciliation? Who prays with them more? Who has the opportunity to point a child to Christ again and again and again and again more than a mother? If they have an eternal soul and it's going somewhere, who has more effect on the direction than their mother? It doesn't get more missional than this. It doesn't. Dads go to work. Dads aren't there all the time. Who is with them always? Who is teaching them lies or the truth about Jesus always? Missional motherhood is no stranger to the challenges of nurturing life in the face of death while dying to self every day. That's a definition of motherhood. <laughs> but missional motherhood sees with eyes of faith a glimpse of something soul-steadying and bright like the dawn. A weight of glory. That weight of glory is far heavier than the 50-pound toddler who has again made it onto the counter. This is what C.S. Lewis said in that essay. Now think about this. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it. It breaks the backs of the proud. 
So this, uh, this eternal weight of glory that you are seeking in your child, that weight is on your back. And it does. It breaks the backs of the proud. And so what do the proud do? The proud break the child. I'm not carrying that. I'm not carrying that for nine months, let alone 18 years. But, but what is, what is that little bundle of joy, that weight of glory on your back? What does it do? It breaks you. It breaks you. We can admit that, can't we? And isn't that glorious? Because what, what comes after the death of self? It's a rhetorical question. Don't answer it. The mission of carrying this load is transformative. A day in the life of a busy mother produces untold numbers of transformations. Dirty children become clean children. Hungry children become fed children. Tired children become rested children, or all of those things in reverse. (laughs) Almost every task a mother performs in the course of a normal day can be considered a transformation. Dirty clothes to clean, unhappy children to peaceful, empty fridges to full, or vice versa on all of those. Every day, moms fight against disorder and filth and starvation and lawlessness, and sometimes they almost succeed. And then they wake up and start again. (laughs) Right? And you just take the coffee from yesterday that you didn't finish, and you microwave it. (laughs) But days like these add up to a much bigger transformation, don't they? The nursing infant at some point is is a boy on a bicycle. A baby bump grows into a toddler. A single car seat in a sedan, right, becomes one of those really big vans, full to the brim with brothers and sisters. I remember. I remember most of the couples in this church had a sedan. Now it's their second car. then there is the kind of transformation that we do, not because we work at it, but because we were created to do it. When you are pregnant and you eat lunch, right, what happens? The food goes into you and your body transforms that food into nourishment for a developing baby. This is motherhood in a nutshell. So too does your Bible reading, your daily intake, because mothers do not live on bread alone. If anyone doesn't live on bread alone, it's a mother. While the physical transformation is miraculous, it's the spiritual food. It's the daily bread turned to nourishment. This daily bread turned to nourishment that is so much more important and is so much less talked about. Why? If there is anyone in this room who ought to read their Bible every day who does not live on bread alone, it's moms. It's moms. Christian mothering is a constant cycle of nourishment, both physical and spiritual, which brings transformation. Now, here's an example of what I'm talking about. Moms, imagine, right? This is going to be really hard, I'm sure. But imagine this scenario. Imagine you're in the kitchen. You're making dinner, and you're like 45 minutes late. The kids are tired. They should have eaten quite a while ago. Now, imagine that you've run, right? Imagine for a moment that things are going wrong beyond that. Maybe you uh, are out of something that you thought that you had. Your children are fussing at one another, and your littlest keeps standing on your feet, pulling out your pant legs. And because you're still wearing, you know, pregnancy pants, it's very easy for them to fall down. I'm sure that you mothers can imagine such a scenario. Now, you are overheated, you are tired, you are sick of it. 
this is not a time for a gospel presentation. Because there isn't time. There isn't the attention span. There isn't anyone to lead the discussion around the felt board. Right? This is not Sunday school. This is a time, this isn't a time for a gospel presentation because it's a time for a gospel application. It's time to apply it. This is a time to take the grace that God has extended to you and feed your children with it. This is a time to apply what you believe about God's mercy and his kindness and his long suffering towards you and pour it out on them in a form that they can understand. It's time to live out his word by applying it. Just like a baby crying for a bottle, those children there need to be fed. But what they need is spiritual milk. They need you to feed them, not with a lecture, not with tears, not with resentment, not with a long list of, hey, do you know what I've had to put up with today? (laughs) But with gospel. Gospel. Even the toddler on top of your toes. This brings transformation. This, This is what makes you, right, more like Christ or less. Mothering is full of difficult moments just like this. Diapers blow out in stores when you have too much in your cart to simply just walk out the door. Kids barf in cars and all you have is a half, half a dozen baby wipes. When difficult moments come, though, belief isn't enough. Just believing is not enough. You must apply what you believe. The good news is you don't need to graduate from some elite mother's training camp to apply the gospel in your life, right? If we had some elite mother's training camp, we would send you there. But we don't have time because your kids need a mother. And so what you have is the Bible. What you have is the law of God. What you have is the gospel. What you have are the stories in there of the women who overcome all the idiot men in their lives. Yes, I said it. Through faith, through, through diligence, through hard work, You need to believe. You need to trust God. You need to give thanks. You need, frankly, to laugh. <laughs> the kid barfing in the car and all you have is a six wet wipes. That's funny. Now, I understand it's not necessarily funny at the moment, but you need to see how funny it really is because who's watching? Right? I love those moments. Your, your little kid desperately wants to help carry things in from the from the the car to the house. And you're like, okay, you can't possibly carry this gallon of milk, but you seem so eager, so let's do it. And there's nobody but you and the kid. And the kid is walking up the walk and trips and falls on the milk and it explodes. <laughs> and who's there? You, the kid, and God. Right? Now, 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 he has a sense of humor that I admit would include this story. So he's watching. What are you going to do? What are you going to say? Who are you going to be? What kind of mother are you going to be? Believe, and that will feed your children. Rest in God, and your children will learn to rest in him. Extend his kindness that you've received to them. Forgive them how you have been forgiven. You have everything you need to spiritually nourish your children because you have Jesus Christ. The gospel is not just something that we talk about on Sunday mornings while you are clean, while you are in clean clothes and actually did find the makeup, and the kids are all sitting there looking smart. The gospel is not limited to quiet times and reflective moods. That is not why it was written. That was not why it was lived. The gospel is something to apply while you are nearly upside down in the back of the car trying to buckle a child up who's playing the kazoo in your face. Right? That's what the gospel was written for. 
God is not above these moments. He is teaching you and leading you and refining you in these difficult situations. He wants you to apply his beautiful gospel in what you do and how you react. He wants to see you feeding your children with the grace that he has given you, but it is hard to feed them the gospel if you have not been feeding on it yourself. Right? So many moms, I sit down with them, and you want to talk to them about what they're struggling with, and it really comes down to, haven't you been reading your Bible? I, I don't care what the mommy blog says. The stay-at-home chef, she makes great videos. I watch them all the time. But that's not what you need more of. You don't need a calendar. <laughs> you need Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You need the book of Deuteronomy. That's what you need. Moms in the trenches. I'm t- <laughs> we can go to the bookstore, burn it down, whatever. Give them the Deuteronomy and have them read it over and over and over and over again. That's how you rule a nation. Right? The king was supposed to carry a copy of Deuteronomy around. When you're r- running a nation like you are in these homes where there are so many kids, you need the wisdom of God. You need his law. You need his promises. That is what mothers need. Too often they're looking for, right, looking for love in all the wrong places. They're looking for relief in all the wrong places. As you go about your daily transformation, set your heart on the truth. Mimic the gospel in what you do. Bring peace, bring order, bring joy, and bring laughter. Bring grace because it was brought to you. Give grace because it was given to you. The gospel is not too big to fit into these little situations. It is too big not to fit. This is why the little boy came. This is why he had a mother, because you have a little boy, and you are a mother. Right? The gospel is not for important men doing important things outside of the house. Well, it's for that, but, you know, it's, it's, that's not all it's for. Too often, the ladies and the moms are overlooked. The God of the universe came down into the lap of a mother, because there were mothers with heavy, heavy souls in their laps, and and they needed good news. Now, let's focus for a moment on the field in which this militant motherhood is occurring, because it's not a pleasant garden, and it's not the back 40 off somewhere on the end of the plantation where nobody goes. Your mission takes place in a very hostile territory. Modern women are starving for power. They are marching it, wearing those funny hats. They are demanding it. They are fighting for it doing everything that they can to try to obtain a sense of power, of equality, of meaning, because they are painfully aware that they have a shortage. The horrible irony is that they trample on the bodies of infants, demanding abortion rights as essential to feminine strength, but it is all a perverting of the truly shocking feminine power. (laughs) Child-rearing. They've discarded the very thing that gives them power the very thing that gives them meaning, the very thing that they were made to do, and they do it by trampling over the bodies of babies. We have been slowly over the years brought to believe that empowered women are those who have detached themselves from fertility. The willfully infertile 30-something who still looks 17 because she's willfully infertile is not the standard of beauty. That's not the standard of accomplishment. Mothers stand by feeling embarrassed by their big bellies while intentionally infertile shells of women despise them for their childbearing as though it was a hobby for the low-achieving and undereducated. Oh, you didn't go to college? Oh, you must not have done very well. 
I'll, I'll, yeah, yeah. You seem like the kind of person who should just spend all day with children. Right? What kind of sass are, are women getting these days? As if, as if having children was for the uneducated and the low achieving. I mean, seriously. Modern woman has taken the glory and awe out of sex, both the act itself and the incredible archetypes that God wrote into it. Love that is creational. Mankind and womankind working together, constantly creating new men and women. They have persuaded us that there is no fight in motherhood, no value to children or to marriage. Ladies, you have all had this chat. I know. Any woman who has kids has, has been in the situation that I'm about to describe. There you are, in line at the grocery store, and you've got all of them with you. And some super helpful, <laughs> usually slightly older, infertile woman starts to ask you questions. Man, you have your hands full. Oh, do I? Thanks. Are they all yours? Do you, do you know how those are made? Everywhere mothers go, people want to talk to them about their children, why they shouldn't have had them, how they could have prevented it, and why they would never have done it themselves. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, well, I could never do that. I don't, and, and you're like, I don't, are you saying that like you don't know what's wrong with her, you would never have done that, or you, you, you're admiring it? There's always this tone in women's voice when I talk to my wife, I'm not really sure. They want to make sure that you know that you won't be smiling anymore when those little ones become teenagers, and they say all of this in line at the grocery store when who's sitting there? Your children. They have no problem saying it in front of them. Years ago, before this generation of mothers was even born, our society decided where children rank in the list of important things. When abortion was legalized, we codified it. Children rank way below college, way below world travel, way below nightlife, way below physical fitness, way below a career, below everything. Children are the last thing that you should ever spend your time doing, women. What's wrong with you? Now, if you grew up in this filthy and disgusting culture, it is very hard to get a biblical perspective on what motherhood actually is. Now, how much do we listen to these partial truths and half-lies? Do you believe, do you believe that you wanted these children simply because Darwinian biological urges and you just insisted upon it? Are you really in this for the cute clothes and the Instagram fodder? And nobody followed me on Instagram, and I got this cute baby. Now everybody follows me on Instagram, right? Nobody does it for that reason. Are you really in this because it's a rock-bottom job for those who couldn't do more, for those who are uh, satisfied with mere drudgery, right? Is this really why you're doing it? This is what the world is saying, women. Why you're doing it is for this reason. Mothering has become the front line of America's war on Christianity. Abortion and feminism and the nanny state, all of these things are direct assaults on Christian women as an attack on Christianity itself. And just like Adam in the garden, the men mostly stand around waiting to see if it will benefit them. Wait, wait. Not get, I, don't, I may not have to get married? We c could just kill the kids? And there Adam is. That's, gentlemen, you guys. I wonder how this is going to play out. Right? Because where was Adam when his wife was eating the apple? Where was Adam when his wife was talking to the snake? He was standing right there, and it was the first ex science experiment. He really wanted to see what would happen. You know, I mean, God made one out of a rib. I got more ribs. 
And this is modern man. Feminism has come along, and instead of saying no, we said, hmm, interesting. Feminism, nanny state. I like that even better because I can just live in my mom's basement playing video games. Christian mothers lead their children through hostile territory. There's no two ways about it. When you are in public with them, you are standing with and defending the very objects of public disdain, societal disdain, cultural disdain. This culture hates kids, and you go everywhere with them. (laughs) You're always identified with the very thing this culture hates. You are publicly testifying that you value what God values and that you refuse to value what the world values. You stand with the defenseless and the needy. You represent everything that our culture hates because you represent laying your life down for another. And laying your life down for another represents the gospel. Our culture is, af- is afraid of, of, of a Christian mother as it is of its own death. Laying down your own life in any way is terrifying to this culture. Strangely, though, it is that fear that drives the abortion industry. Fear that their dreams will die. Fears that their future will die. Fears that their freedom will die. And so abortion tries to escape death by running into the arms of death. Right? There will be blood. Somebody is going to die. And they've exchanged my life for yours, your life for mine. But Christians have a different paradigm, and we run to the cross, we run towards death. And so, ladies, lay down your hopes of all the the great things you were going to do out there in the world, all the great college degrees you were going to get, all that great stuff you were going to go out and you were going to do, the career. Someday I was going to make as much as as a man. Is that really, at the end, what you want your legacy to be? I earned as much as my brother. Lay it all down. Lay down your future. Lay down your petty annoyances. Lay down your desire to be recognized. Lay down your fussiness at your children. Lay down your perfectly clean house. Lay down your grievances about the life that you are living. Lay down the imaginary life that you could have had if you didn't have those kids. Lay lay it all down. Stop believing the lies. Stop buying into the nonsense that the world is trying to feed you. The, the Bible is very clear about the value of children. Jesus was very clear about the value of children. And we are commanded to love them, to bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We are to imitate him and to take pleasure in children. Don't be ashamed because the world wants you to be ashamed. Death to yourself is not the end of the story. We of all people ought to know this. Mothers of all people ought to know this. The Christian life is a resurrection life, a life that cannot be contained by death, a life only possible when you have been to the cross and back. Do you give your life to your children resentfully? Do you tally everything that you do for them like a loan shark tallies debts? How do you deal with the hostels? Are you a hostile? Are you a wolf in sheep's clothing? Or do you give them life the way that God has given it to you? It isn't enough to pretend, though you might fool that woman at the grocery store asking you the stupid questions. That person in line at the store might believe you when you plaster on a fake smile, but your children aren't going to because they know the truth. They know exactly where they stand. They know the things that you rate above them. They know everything that you resent and hold against them. 
They know that you faked a cheerful answer to that lady only to whisper threats to them or bark at them in the car. <laughs> you guys weren't so loud, people wouldn't ask me those stupid questions. Children know the difference between a mother who is saving face with a stranger and a mother who is defending her child's lives with her smile, her love, and her loyalty. They can see it. Live the gospel in the things that no one sees. No one will ever see it. Your husband won't see it. Your pastor is not going to see it. Your friends are not going to see it. You live the gospel where only Jesus Christ can see it. What kind of gospel are you teaching your kids? Sacrifice for them in the places that only they will see. Right? Don't throw them to the wolves, and then when everyone's watching, suddenly you're the sacrificial mother. Don't do it. Because at, at, at risk at this point is more than the weight of their own glory. It's the weight of yours. Put their value ahead of yours. Grow them up in the clean air of gospel living. Your testimony of the gospel and the little details of your life is more valuable to them than you, can, than you will ever know. Yeah, she, she, would, she would yell at us sometimes. When we were kids, sometimes she spanked us when, we were, when she was angry. Sometimes, right, she was on Instagram when we really needed her. But you know what she never did was be a hypocrite because she knew that she was a failure and she knew that she needed Jesus Christ and she, as much as we did. Now, that's a testimony that your kids will grow up, right? That's what you want. You don't want to be perfect. You don't want to be look, you don't want to look perfect for the world and you don't want to pretend for them because I'm telling you, I don't care if they're two years old or three years old or seven years old or 17 years old. They know you're a fake. If you tell your children the gospel but live to yourself, they will never believe it. Give your life for theirs every day. Do, and do it joyfully. This is what you were made for. Don't listen to the world. Lay down your pettiness, lay down your fussiness, lay down your resentment about the dishes, about the laundry, about the waistline, about how nobody knows how hard you work. Right? What did I say? In the no, I, we're not going to all suddenly leave here magically caring more about the humdrum than we do. That's still your trench. And your kids are watching. And so is Jesus. And he's given you everything that you need to go there and succeed and have victory. Stop clinging to yourself and cling to the cross. There is more joy and there is more life and there is more laughter on the, on the other side of your own death than you could possibly carry alone. And that's why you've been given children to share it with. The joys of the cross in the resurrection, there is more joy in it than you can possibly carry yourself, than you could possibly enjoy yourself. Now, I'm not kidding. I'm going to say I'm closing, and this really is going to be the closing. My kids told me I was doing that a little too much. Moms, I want you to, to imagine all the playgrounds in the greater Seattle area, all of them. Now, imagine all of them are full of children who know what it means to be loved. They know God. They know Jesus. They know his people. Their hearts are full of the stories of his faithfulness. Imagine playgrounds full of these kinds of children. Swings weighed down by children who are living in the joy of the Lord. Children who know who they are and what they are for. Now ask yourself, in what kind of a city would this happen? What would it mean if every playground in the Pacific Northwest was full of Christian children? It would mean that you're in Christian country. 
Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. I said it last week. There are things that are, are, are attached to revival that revivalism never puts in front of our eyes. When the word of God is restored, the, the hearts of fathers are turned to their children, the hearts of children to their fathers. Would you want the word of God to be revived? Ladies, <laughs> teach one another what it means to love your husbands and to love your children. Right? You want the word of God to spread? Do that. Do what you were made for. Stop listening to the world. Paul is not describing some kind of retirement home for the super delicate. Right? Oh, these ladies, all they were really good for was raising kids, and now they're just going to sit around and chit-chat about how to make flaky muffins. This is not a retirement home for the delicate where you are to be discreet and chaste and love your husbands and your babies because you are fit for nothing else. He is describing your battle stations. He is saying you are fit for nothing less. Paul is describing the role of a good woman in making the kind of children that you just pictured in the playground. Do you want that? Do you want playgrounds full of children who know the Lord? Do you want the word of God to not be reviled? This is your battle station. This is your trench. He is calling you, ladies, to your powerful and your glorious and your world-changing work, the great good work, his work, of silencing the enemy and the avenger. And amen.